Cinnabuds, Cinnabuds, two buddies talking about cinema. Hi, everybody. I'm Christopher Pollard from Milwaukee Film. From Radio Milwaukee, my name is Dory Zori. Yes, it is. And this is Cinnabuds. And this week on Cinnabuds, we are talking about a short film called The Last Repair Shop. I love the violin. I think a lot of people see a broken thing and they just think it's broken. It could be anything. Maybe it's public schools. Or maybe it's the United States or any other part of the world. Maybe it's just that $20 fiddle found out to swap me. But when we see a broken thing, we think, oh, with a little something here, a little something there, we can fix the part that's broken and make things whole again. And the last repair shop is directed by Ben Proudfoot and Chris Bowers. And it is about, it highlights the repair people Mm -hmm. who fix instruments for school kids in the Los Angeles school district. Yes. That it's one of the last school districts or possibly the last school district that gives out instruments to kids to learn to play. Which is such a huge deal. But also, I think this last repair shop is the one that fixes these instruments for free. Yes. So imagine for those of you listening out there, the only access that you had to an instrument was through school. And then that instrument breaks what happens if you don't have someone like uh, the last repair shop fixing all your instruments. So that concept in itself is pretty cool, but the meat of the story is actually focuses on four of the employees of this last repair shop and their stories are beautiful and fascinating and heartbreaking all in themselves. What this job means to them and how they made it to these jobs really is what kind of propels the movie forward. It's a it's a lovely movie, and we were very uh, lucky to be able to sit down with one of the directors of the film, Ben. Ben Proudfoot, who also directed a movie that you said won some awards at yeah, a previous film festival. did really well. Uh, the Queen of Basketball played at the Milwaukee Film Festival, won a big award at our fest. We got to talk to him about that and his current film, so uh, really, really lucky to have him. And to listen to the rest of the interview, stick around. Hey, Wisconsin foodies. This is Tariq Moody of Radio Milwaukee. Join Milwaukee Magazine's food writer, Ann Christensen, and myself every Friday morning at 8 a.m. for This Bites, Milwaukee's longest-running culinary podcast. We talk about everything from new restaurants, pop-ups, cookbooks, events, and even an occasional interview with a local chef. Head over to RadioMilwaukee.org slash This Bites or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, we're very excited. Dory and I are here, and we are happy to be talking with Ben Proudfoot, one of the directors of The Last Repair Shop. Ben, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So exciting to excited to talk to you guys today. Yeah. Dory, do you want to get us started about the film? Do you want to talk a little bit about just like what the film is? Yeah, Ben, in your words, do you want to describe for our listeners um, what the film is about? Absolutely. So The Last Repair Shop, it's a short documentary that takes you inside the world of one of the last um, and certainly the last major working workshop to repair student instruments. And that repair shop uh, is in Los Angeles, California. 
It's been going continuously since 1959, and a handful of master craftspeople are responsible for keeping 80,000 student instruments in repair. And so it's their, it's not only about their craft, but it's about their personal life stories and how in every single case, music um, kind of repaired repaired their heart when it was broken um, in all kinds of different ways. And uh, it's, a, it's a musical and emotional adventure through the repair shop. How did you come across this story? Yeah, so it, it, this is a long time coming project. So it releases, uh, you know, just shortly now. But we started this project four years ago, and uh, the producer of the film, Jeremy Lambert, had come across some photographs that somebody had taken uh, within the repair shop and showed them to me and said, wow, this would make an amazing documentary. Uh, and it was just kind of one of those things where so the, the little, you know, tastemaker in, in the bottom, the pit of your stomach reaches up and grabs and onto something and and doesn't let go. And I haven't let go uh, in four years. And it was shortly after that, that I went to Chris and we were making a film called A Concerto as a Conversation. And I knew that he had gone to LAUSD and it turned out um, that Steve Bagmanian, who is one of the main uh, storytellers in the film, actually tuned Chris's pianos in elementary and middle school. Um, and of course, Chris you know, went on to you know, go to Juilliard and become one of the most celebrated jazz pianists and film composers of, of his generation. So he, he is sort of walking, talking, uh, piano playing proof uh, of this repair <laughs> shop. That's fantastic. That's great connection. Um, real quick, before we keep going, I have to ask, as a documentary filmmaker, how often do you hear or say the phrase, this would be a great documentary? <laughs> um, I wish I heard it more because usually I follow up and make a film about it. Um, you know, that's kind of like my job in the world is, um, you know, we're, we're all kind of like walking through the wild and uh, tasting little pieces of vegetation. And every once in a while, someone will eat something and say, oh my God, this is delicious. And it's kind of our job to run over there and say, well, what is it, what is it, right? <laughs> um, and so I'm all the, my ears are perked all the time uh, for somebody saying, this should be a movie, this should be a documentary. I'm constantly reading YouTube comments of somebody saying something like that. Um, because that's, that's the kind of thing that we follow up on. Truly, um, but you kind of also have to have your own instinct. But I think I think what that gets at really is a filmmaker's desire to see the film, the finished film, is the best uh, indication that a film will be good and that a film will be made, right? And and right. certainly that's what I look for in my myself, and I I'm, I know that that's the same truth for Chris, is that we just want to see it. Yeah, you know, that's the main reason for making it. How did you first meet Chris? Chris, uh, actually, so it's a it's a, an interesting story because Peter Rotter, um, who's an executive producer on this film, he introduced us, God, six or seven years ago now. Chris was, you know, playing piano. He was in early phases of writing film scores, and he was interested in filmmaking. 
and he wanted to make a short film. And Peter, who's kind of like the leading music contractor, he's he runs a business of hiring orchestra musicians to play in some of the biggest Hollywood scores around, said, you should be Ben Proudfoot. He's a, he's a um, you know, short filmmaker. That's when I met Chris. And he was working on a short film that he wanted to make. And I just started sharing everything I knew about, you know, short filmmaking. And he started telling me about, and I'm a huge music nut. And so we became fast friends. And then really when I got to know him though, is when we made a concerto as a conversation together, which is about his personal story and his family's story. And um, that film was nominated for an Academy Award. So we got to spend an enormous amount of time together. I got to know his whole family really well. Uh, I still work with his, his brother, Keelan, uh, here at Breakwater. So we've been in close cahoots now for, for four or five years. Speaking of Academy Awards, uh, you have one somewhere, I heard. Yeah, it's over there. <laughs> <laughs> you did a great documentary, uh, The Queen of Basketball. Is that Am I saying that correctly? That's it. Queen? That's right. Yeah. That's, you got it. We had that at our festival, the Milwaukee Film Festival, and uh, our audiences loved it. And we were, we were, anytime we have a film at the festival and it goes on to at least be, even be nominated, we're always really pushing. And we were all very excited to see Queen uh, of Basketball win it. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for for having having the film there. And actually, this the last repair shop is produced by R Josh Rosenberg, who is from Green Bay and spent, yes, uh, spent a lot of time in Milwaukee uh, in <laughs> a film called Small Town, Wisconsin. Oh uh, yeah, which I believe was at the festival as well. Yeah, we had I think a premiere of it here as well. We were very excited yeah. for that. Alexander yeah. Payne came out. So what was that? Uh, what's that experience like for you? Which one? The Wicked uh, Oscar? The, one? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, it's it's um, it's it's surreal. It is the ultimate validation um, for a short filmmaker. I mean, there's not a lot of validation for short filmmakers, right? There's a lot of ways to get validation as a feature filmmaker, including making a lot of money or, you know, having a ton of people watch it or some big streamer doing a big campaign for a short filmmaker. There's not that many. And so, um, you know, and, and in particular, right. When you're making a documentary, it's not about you. It's really about the story that you're, you've been charged with telling and advocating for. So in the queen of basketball, right. We have Lucy Harris, who's this unsung, hero of basketball, a pioneer who was the first, for those who haven't seen it, the first woman um, to be officially drafted into the NBA. And her story had really never been told. And so when the film won the Academy Award, tragically, she had passed away, you know, literally, you know, two months prior to the Academy Awards. And so we were there with her kids. And if you could have just imagined, right, like your mom, after sort of 40 years of being ignored and neglected, Finally, this film gets made. Finally, people start recognizing it. Shaquille O'Neal, Steph Curry start pointing her and say, yeah, this, this person deserves our respect. And then she passes away in the middle of it. I mean, literally, I think, you know, the, the last time that the, me and the family had worn a suit was at her funeral, just a, six weeks or something before. Um, so to hear the Oscar goes to the Queen of Basketball was beyond um cathartic 
also just painful that she couldn't be there. I think we all had dreamed of her being on the red carpet with us. And so it was a hugely emotional and dramatic moment. And I was honored to get up on stage and represent the the film. That's great. Yeah. I have a follow-up question for The Last Repair Shop. Yeah. The documentary comes in at a very healthy 40 minutes. How many hours of film and footage do you actually record to make a 40-minute documentary? I like how you said that as if it was like a nice, chunky baby. Yeah, a little chunky boy. (laughs) A little chunky boy of 39 minutes. Um, Yeah, how many hours of footage did we film? Oh gosh, a lot. 70, 80 hours of footage? Wow. Something like that, I I would guess, yeah. We want to say, too, and we were talking about this earlier today, uh, if we haven't made it clear yet, uh, the film is beautiful. Thank you. We really, really loved it. Um, We were both recounting which parts we cried in. It was inevitable that we were going to cry. We just didn't know (laughs) when. Um, How was it? I mean, uh, this is probably a very common question for documentary filmmakers, but when you're meeting these people and hearing their stories, how invested do you become in their lives, especially, uh, you know, it's quite a bit of time you're spending with them. Oh, you become entirely invested. Yeah. You know, and you end up, I I end up sharing quite a bit about my life, you know, um, in the process of having this, I mean, the conversations that you're seeing, right, which lasts, you know, seven, eight minutes in the movie are the product of seven or eight hour long interviews, right? Right. so during that period of time, I'm sharing a lot about my life. Somebody talks about their parent dying. I talk about my dad dying, or they talk about, you know, um, you know, their career aspirations. You know, I share something. You see, you really get to know somebody pretty well. Um, it's actually amazing how well you can come to know someone if you really deeply and in a focused manner talk to someone about their life story for five or six hours you will walk out of that situation feeling a deep bond with this person. You know what they're scared of, what they aspire to do, what their worst and most difficult moments when they were they were most embarrassed or ashamed. Um, and you really, what you do is you fall in love with them, you know, and, and you, you feel protected of them. And it's that energy that sort of carries through the post-production process when you're charged with, how do I take seven hours and boil it down to seven minutes? Um, you want to do right by them because you understand them and you care about them. Uh, and you want to make sure that the way they come off in the movie is in the spirit of the way they wished to tell their story in, in all seven hours. Yeah, music really is the best medicine. So to be able to share your story with them and gain that trust so they can be open and vulnerable, um, is there a really beautiful thing? Is there someone that you connected with first? Um, was it Dana, Steve, Patty? Well, Dana or um, Steve being the manager was the first, like he was our point person. And honestly, when we first got there, nobody wanted to participate. Everybody was very suspicious of us. Everyone had crossed arms because there had been some press coverage of the repair shop that kind of focused in on like a lack of funding from LAUSD or, you know, that they, they were, there was a big backlog, I think at one point, 10 years ago or something. 
And so they were very suspicious of somebody coming in telling their story because they were dissatisfied with how it had been done in the past. And so I remember going in there and, um, you know, I'm the talker. So it's like, okay, Ben, give your pitch. So everybody was sort of like in a semicircle and sort of, you know, like not feeling it. And I gave my pitch for why I thought this movie needed to be made and the level of detail and craft and uh, follow through that we were going to apply to this filmmaking process. And um, at the end of it, I said, you know, kind of like Jerry Maguire, like, who's with me? <laughs> and um, four people raised their hand, Dana, Steve, Dwayne, and Patty. And those were the four interviews. I didn't interview anybody else. And believe it or not, not only was it one person from each department, right, which was perfect. Yeah. All four of them were incredible stories. Like, I couldn't believe them. You know, I think the first interview we did was maybe, I think it might have been Dana. And I was like, oh, God, that was so emotional. It's going to be hard to beat that. And then Dwayne with his crazy Elvis story and such a compelling character and Patty with her heartbreaking an amazing story of being the first woman to get a job in the shop and then Steve to bring it home. I mean, no one can escape hearing his story and not just be moved to the bone. Um, I just couldn't believe it. I, I remember saying to Jeremy, producer, to Chris, I have never experienced such a cascade of amazing stories in one <laughs> sit down. I mean, it was unbelievable fortune. That's incredible. Yeah. Now, how many other people work there then? I think they've got about 12, um, okay. give or take, just sort of from a visual count. Um, yeah, 10, 10 to 15, somewhere in there. Wow. Yeah. Do you have, uh, you, you worked on this other film with uh, Chris also, Kachirta as a conversation. Yeah. Um, is music... And the, now you have Last Repair Shop. Is music uh, like a big part of your life as well? Obviously it is with Chris, but how how is it with you? Yeah, I mean, I don't make music um, like Chris can. I, I admire it hugely. I think if I wasn't a filmmaker, I would love to be a composer. I don't think I have the skill. Um, but I, I I've always loved film music. Like I'm the guy where like everyone else is talking about their favorite bands and like deep cuts from their favorite bands. And they're like, hey Ben, what kind of music you listen to? And I'm like, John Williams, you know, like Alexandre Desplat. And everyone's like, you're such a loser. Um, I've always been that guy since high school, you know, before even before, middle school, you know, grew up on film music and musicals and orchestral music. Go figure, I don't know. I, yeah. I think I think it lights up something in my brain, some some sort of like free form storytelling. You know, I can kind of create the story that's happening um, as I'm listening to the music. So I've always loved film music. I've incorporated it in all my films. We allocate huge, probably like five or six times as much of our budget to music as other filmmakers do. Um, and you can hear it, right? Like you can hear like this is a, a orchestra playing this music. Um, and I think it makes a difference in the filmmaking experience to to hear that rather than sort of the amorphous, vibey music that we're kind of used to um, for a lot of stuff that we hear today, because it's, it's easier to write that kind of music. And it's cheaper, you know, to just have it be like sort of a drone music bed in the background. 
the music that's in the last repair shop, uh, incredible score themes by Chris score by Katya Richardson. I mean, this is, I mean, I know it's our film, but like, this is a masterpiece of a score. I mean, this, (laughs) this was amazing. And this was an enormous orchestra that recorded this all entirely LAUSD alumni, every note, you know, the end obviously like is just, uh, so emotional to watch this multi-generational orchestra and and um, it's it's pretty rare to hear a, a new score like that um, especially I think coming from you know we're, we're just beginning in our careers right and so it, we we created it in that sort of classical sense that the originators of film music and Alfred Newman and Eric Wolfgang Korngold and Max Steiner, and that was sort of inherited on through John Williams, um, have been writing scores for a hundred years of film music, coming up on a hundred years. So it's a musical film and I I don't think I could make films without music. I don't think I could do it. So glad you, you mentioned that because I didn't know if I should mention the orchestra at the end, because when I was watching it, it, for me, it genuinely felt like, a twist. Like did M. Yeah. Shaman make this documentary? Because <laughs> when I saw when I saw the the shot of the orchestra and then I kind of had a hint and then I start seeing the names of the alums and the current students that are all playing and the composer. That's when I mean we talked about when you cry during this movie. <laughs> that's when I was like, oh, here it comes. Because that was <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. I did feel that exactly how you're saying it. The whole thing felt very cinematic. It was a really beautiful score. And then knowing that the people in the movie and the students that you see, uh, that little girl is so who's just so sweet and so excited about. Uh, about music seeing them playing i i was in i was in pieces yeah it just brings it all together yeah Um, yeah and we've been dreaming about that for so long um and uh you know so many of the people in fact i would say the vast majority of people that were involved in that uh, donated their time and what's amazing is it looks like this huge hollywood blockbuster finale it, that, it most people were doing that out of the goodness of their heart. Um, and, you know, this is where a short documentary, right? It was only after the fact that we were lucky enough to pair up with Searchlight and with LA Times. Like at that point, this was a independent, scrappy dappy do production. <laughs> and um, it was emotional to be in that room. It was, it was so emotional to be in that room because everyone just was playing their heart out, hearts out, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we, we wanted, I, I told Chris, his job was to go off and write this piece of music, right? And I said, you know, this has got to be a showstopper piece of music. It's got to be a mythical tribute to the power of music. It's, you know, I really kind of like put the pressure on, right? He's like, okay, thanks, Ben. And we all, he had like some ridiculous, like three days to write it or something. And he pulls that out of his sleeve and it's just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he really did go to Juilliard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, Ben, we have six minutes left. And what we like to do on our podcast is sure. at least is ask three quick questions about just your relationship to movies. So if sure. you don't mind, uh, before we end, I just have three quick ones. Yeah. Uh, and take your time. Yeah. As long as it's within six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a struggle for me. <laughs> uh, the first, and this is this is not helping. What are one or two of your all-time favorite documentaries? 
Ooh. I love the war room. I love that film. It's funny. I mean, there are a few needle drop uh, songs, but it's not a movie with a score. Right. Um, but I love the humanity of that film. I love the way it's shot. I love the intimacy of it and the access of it. And I'm just really interested in the world of, you know, um, politics and storytelling and how that all works together. I also, a film maker, it's not a film, but a filmmaker that was hugely influential to me, probably pretty obviously, is, is Errol Morris. And it's funny, I my the first film of his that I saw, which, you know, it's, I wouldn't put it on his list of great works. He's made so many great films. It was a corporate film he made for IBM called They Were There. And it was about these older people who were part of IBM in the early days when they were like create, discovering fractals and creating scanners for the grocery store. And it was the first time I saw the Interatron, the direct eyeline uh, interview system and said, how is he doing that? You know, and I was a magician as a teenager and I was really drawn to that magic trick that he pulled off and how he was able to capture people and really plug the audience into directly into them without putting the filmmaker in the middle. And so I think, you know, those are two, two docs or one, one doc filmmaker, one documentary had a huge influence on me. That's great. Ben, what is the movie that has made you cry the most? Ooh. Or one you turn to when you need like those feels. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I love that movie. I also love the movie Something's Gotta Give. <laughs> yeah. Great movie. Um, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. Fantastic movie. I love that. You know, Mr. Holland's Opus, which is a huge reference for The Last Repair Shop, um, especially in terms of the performance at the end. Um, you know, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is one of my favorite movies. Um, <laughs> the Sting, great movie. Um, the Apartment. The Apartment's Long great. I just, I just saw that for the first time like last year, The Apartment. I can't believe it took me that long to see it. Gosh, isn't that a just magnificent movie? Yeah. Now, alternately, what is the movie that has made you laugh the most? It doesn't have to be the best movie you've ever seen, but one that you just it provided laughter. I would say the original Austin Powers. I would also say um, Dumb and Dumber. Love Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Um, when it came out, I remember watching Blue Streak over and over again and laughing. I've seen Blue Streak. Is that Rock Martin Rock. Lawrence? Yeah. <laughs> Love that movie. Um, yeah, those are some off the top of my head. Those are good. Those are very good. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, once again, thank you so much for doing this. This is really phenomenal. Yes, yeah. Uh, can you tell everybody what's next for the film, where they where they'll be able to see it? I know it's coming out soon. Yeah, so depending when this uh, interview airs, um, the film comes out in two days from where, where we are now recording this. Okay. So it comes out on November 8th. So that may be in your future or your, probably your past. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my guess is uh, as you're listening to this, the film will now be available on YouTube for free. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Um, and this film is about access to music and the power of the access. So we made sure that it was accessible to everybody worldwide in perpetuity for free on YouTube, the last repair shop. 
on LA Times as well, but LA Times YouTube page. And, you know, we've just been getting incredible feedback to the film. You know, we premiered the movie at Telluride. Um, it's been on a lot of the sort of like critics favorite lists this mm-hmm. year, which has been incredibly exciting. And, uh, you know, we're going to try to get as many people as possible to see this movie, not only to enshrine um, LA's repair shop so that, you know, people can see the power of it, but to reverse the trend in the United States of privatizing um, and sort of paring back arts and music education to why, why don't we start bringing those things back? Why, why doesn't the New York public uh, school district have free and freely repaired uh, musical instruments. Uh, what about Milwaukee, right? Like, shouldn't access to a musical instrument if you're a kid who wants to play music be a basic privilege uh, in this country? I think so. You know, you don't want to stop someone from exploring music because they can't afford, you know, the $20 a month rental fee or they're afraid of the thing breaking. And that's right. a reality for for millions of Americans. So I, I hope our really supreme hope is that the film will inspire other civic leaders all across the country to consider why, you know, they're, they're making kids rent uh, and pay their own way on, um, on the musical instrument front. Right. Well, that wraps up another episode of Cinnabuds. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. We'd like to thank our wonderful producer, Kim Shine. Also, thank you to Newski for our super cool theme song. Yeah. And we could not do this. Nor would we want to without the support of our wonderful members, both at Radio Milwaukee and at Milwaukee Film. Bye, everybody. Bye.